This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and managing editor of the Business of Government magazine. For over 15 years, the IBM Center for the Business of Government has sought to connect research to practice, sponsoring third-party research on a broad range of public management issues facing us today. The public's trust in government continues to be at low levels, as measured in numerous surveys, This perception is shaped in part from stories about how federal agencies could have improved if leaders had taken the time to foresee and mitigate potential risks. Today, change is occurring that holds the potential to make government function better. It is a positive change. An increasing number of federal agencies have recognized the value of enterprise risk management and are taking actions to make ERM an important part of their operational model. An IBM Center report, Improving Government Decision-Making Through Enterprise Risk Management by Douglas Webster and Thomas Danton, describes the evolution of federal risk management approaches and highlights several federal agencies' experiences in adopting enterprise risk management. What is enterprise risk management? How can agencies successfully implement ERM? And what are some of the challenges they face in doing so? Today, we will explore these questions and so much more with Doug Webster and Tom Stanton, authors of the IBM Center report, Improving Government Decision-Making Through Enterprise Risk Management. Doug, Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, There are various definitions of risk. Uh, So what is risk and why is risk so often viewed as negative terms rather than, say, positive action? Well, probably the most direct answer to that is that risk, if you look it up in the dictionary, is almost always couched in negative terms. So it's a threat, some vulnerability, and so on. And as a result, folks involved in risk management tend to look at, or not necessarily those only involved in risk management, but people that are impacted by risk management look at it in those terms. However, that's a very narrow context because you also need to consider what's the trade-offs, what's the rewards for, for going after various risks. And so ISO 31000, International Standard on Risk Management, uh, defines risk as the uncertainty of objectives. Now, that that is a different definition of risk, but that having been said, it's not consistent with the other definition if for the other definition you also include what are the risks and the rewards. The point is that both of those need to be considered jointly. Mm-hmm. So as you point out in your report for the IBM Center and in your larger book that you both edited, a risk comes in many different dimensions, and the, and the federal government has traditionally focused, and I know, Doug, you know this given your previous role as CFO at Labor, that it manages, uh, it focuses on managing financial risk. But now we're beginning to see the understanding of risk more comprehensively. I'd like to get a sense of, um, if you can offer examples of external internal risks agencies or organizations face. Well, I think first off, in terms of the breadth of risk, it it certainly is focused on financial risks in certain types of agencies and in certain uh, functional roles, such as uh, you mentioned the financial 
role of a CFO. That having been said, I would suggest that risk across the federal government is certainly not historically limited to that. I mean, if one were to think of NASA as an agency, for example, they have all kinds of risks in achievement of their missions, but one would not naturally gravitate to financial risk there. In terms of uh, internal versus external risks, uh, the underlying principles of risk management are identical, but the context is different, meaning that internal risks that are typically risk to achieving some internal set of objectives, whether improving efficiency, effectiveness, et cetera, are things that the organization largely or generally has some significant degree of control over. External risks, on the other hand, you typically do not have an ability to control those risks. So while you may certainly impact the organization's ability to respond should that risk turn to an adverse event, you can't control the risk in the external environment. So that context is significantly different. So, Tom, you know, you just need to look at the newspaper headlines lately, and there are many classic examples of inadequate public and private sector risk management in recent decades. Why is it so imperative to consider the extent of possible risk up front and could you highlight some of your examples of the, and the common thread throughout these events? It's imperative to consider major risks up front because the cost of remediating a risk early may be a lot less than if you wait. And until recently, I would have used the Veterans Administration. The cost of remediating the Veterans Health Administration and reducing wait times would have been a lot less than suffering what both veterans and the VA suffered. Now, of course, we have the Office of Personnel Management and the abysmal failure to protect government workers against cybersecurity, against cyber threats. And that cost is immense. We haven't even gotten to the point where we know how many records were actually accessed. If somebody had done a decent job of cyber protection up front, we might have been able to avoid this. Um, to give you a private sector example, I was the point person on governance and risk management for the Financial Crisis Inquiry Commission. Mm -hmm. And there you saw one major financial institution after another that simply failed to consider the risk of putting hundreds of billions of dollars in many cases of subprime mortgages on their books without reserving enough capital uh, in case of a realistic assessment of losses. And the cost of that compared to what it would have cost to deal with it up front, the cost of that to these institutions that blew themselves up, but also to us as a country, um, have been immense. Mm -hmm. And Doug, would you highlight some of the compelling reasons for why the federal government should be adopting and is adopting uh, enterprise risk management? Well, to the degree that the federal government is already involved in risk management, and I would suggest every organization is involved in risk management in some fashion, it has traditionally and typically been within various functional stovepipes. So, for example, the financial chief financial officer certainly worries about getting a clean audit opinion. The CIO worries about cybersecurity, et cetera. However, when you manage risks within these functional silos and you don't come together collectively, you don't have an ability to prioritize at the overall enterprise level across those functional stovepipes. Moreover, you don't have the ability to identify cross-functional impacts where 
Uh, the CIO, for example, mitigating one risk may be creating uh, unknowingly risks in other parts of the organization. You don't have the ability to prioritize resources across all of those. And finally, you, don't, you are unable to develop that portfolio view of risk across the enterprise to ensure it's consistent with a risk appetite for that organization. So when you do get to that, whether it's an OMB directive or what have you, you have the policy. In question, given your background, why doesn't policy readily translate into action? Well, that's probably an age-old question that applies to not just risk management but to any, anything because you can have a, a, a leader with great vision that can push for a policy, but policy means very little if you don't have the organization aligned and, and working to implement that policy in a consistent and sustainable fashion. So there's a whole host of factors that have to come together, and I have always maintained that enterprise risk management is just as much about organizational change management as it is about risk management. And so all the kinds of challenges that it takes to get the organization understanding, motivated, with the right tools, and finally willing to continue that journey through the right incentives and ongoing uh, processes is, is critical. So that is typically not a uh, a one-month or a one-year proposition, that is a long-term proposition, but that should not uh, keep anyone from starting down that journey. But it is it is a journey. It's not a, a quick fix. And, and Doug, just to keep with you, um, risk emanates from both outside and inside uh, an organization. Uh, given your perspective and all the work you've done, both on this report and for your book, do you handle externally and internally generated risk the same way? And why do they require maybe possibly different responses well, to some degree, as, as I indicated earlier, they, they, they are the same because the underlying principles of risk management to, to identify the risk, to assess it, to, to treat it, and so on are universal. That having been said, your ability to impact that risk can, can vary greatly if it's to the degree that it's outside of your control. For example, uh, the risk of not having sufficient budget downstream a year from now or five years from now is not largely within the control of federal agencies because it, it begins with the agency, of course, but it has to go through the entire budgeting process and finally it has to go through Congress. And while we can all influence Congress to some degree through not by lobbying but through educating, uh, nevertheless, we are dependent upon what comes back downhill to the organization. So you don't have the same degree of ability to control that risk that you do uh, inside the organization. So, uh, Tom, to what extent do budget cuts increase the risk confronting agencies in, in both private and public sector? When does major risk materialize? The problem with budget cuts yeah. is that very often they're not well thought out. And very often an agency will be under intense pressure to pretend they can do more with less when maybe they can't. Sometimes you can do more with less. But very often you can't cover the same waterfront mm -hmm. without budget resources that you could cover with budget resources. So if the fundamental question that we ask in enterprise risk management is what are the major risks that could prevent our agency from achieving its mission or objectives – when you have budget cuts, the question is, with less resources, what are the major risks? And very often, the answers are different. Mm -hmm. One may not be able to change, to build on Doug's example just now, one may not be able to change the extent of a budget cut. But you may be able to do risk management to cope better with a budget cut. And I'm thinking of the Department of Homeland Security and the former Undersecretary for Management 
who basically with large acquisitions said, you know, this acquisition might have a five-year time horizon. We want to make sure a funding is cut in year three that we get something for it. Mm -hmm. So they designed the acquisition in modules so that if funding were cut, not the ones asking for it, you still have something to show for this massive expenditure of funds rather than having nothing, which was too frequently the case. And just looking at public and private uh, entities, when does risk materialize? Is there certain conditions in place around there? The hardest issue to deal with is timing. You can assess the vulnerabilities, and sometimes you're lucky, and sometimes you're not lucky. And timing is something, and I saw this, of course, studying the financial crisis, uh, timing is something you can't quite tell when that event will occur that will precipitate the risk that creates a fundamental problem for you. So, Tom, what is the value of a risk management focus, and how can the effective use of risk management strategies improve senior leadership decision-making? Well, the whole point of risk management, enterprise risk management in particular, is that decision makers consider both the rewards Mm -hmm. and the risks of any decision. Mm -hmm. In other words, there's an upside, and very often you have enthusiasts that want to go forward and do something. One needs to also listen to the downside, and you need to have a trade-off between the two. So uh, I'll give you an example from the financial crisis. We interviewed one of the firms that successfully navigated the crisis. And we walked out of their Taj Mahal, and my minder uh, made sure I didn't go off and do other informal interviews after we interviewed the CEO and said, let's go for coffee. And then he said, you know, so-and-so, the CEO, he asks my opinion on major risks all the time. And then he got a funny look on his face, and he said, but he asks 200 other people, too. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a CEO who is going to have a real sense, besides they had really good information systems to support analysis of risks and rewards, but that's going to be a CEO who has a real sense of the contours of a good decision. Mm -hmm. And the, the risks that hurt you most, usually, are the ones you don't see. You haven't thought about. So decisions, whether to undertake an initiative or to continue ongoing activities, involve risks and rewards, as you pointed out in your report. How can risk management um, act as a a tool to strengthen decision-making? In my view, one of the important functions of enterprise risk management is to ensure the flow of communications to the decision-maker. They need to have the information that is directly relevant to the decision they want to make. And that means communications up and down the hierarchy, also across the silos to bring the powerful business unit heads into the conversation to be sure the decision maker knows everything that they need to know. And again, interviewing the chief of the mortgage desk at one of the successful financial firms who they had lost money for 10 days in a row when their model said they should have made money. Mm -hmm. And immediately, this guy surfaces the warning to top management. People come down, start looking over his shoulder, people he had never seen before from top (laughs) management. And so I asked him, well, why did you do this? He said, part of my job is to make sure that the people I work for know what they need to know. Mm -hmm. That's an organizational culture that allows that flow of communication. Tom, as a follow-up, how can risk management be a tool for improving information flow? Sometimes agency leaders 
are too out of touch with what's going on. Washington may not know what's going on in the field. Political appointees may not understand what's going on at the civil servant level. And what I've seen in organizations is that you may have a problem with what I call a layer of cork. That when I interview somebody in the middle of the organization, they say, oh, here's this issue. I'm really trying to surface it. But whenever they surface it, it hits a layer of cork and top management never sees it. So what enterprise risk management does is it's a way to let your frontline employee surface the issue and, by the way, surface it as we do business this way, not surface it as it's an act of personal courage to bring bad news to the boss. And if you can do that, um, then your organization starts to build towards a culture where the decision makers can make good risk-reward trade-offs. What is enterprise risk management? We will explore this question and so much more on our special edition of the Business of Government Hour, A Conversation with Authors Returns. How can DOD improve its acquisition processes? Check out the latest IBM Center report, Eight Actions to Improve Defense Acquisition. The authors emphasize the urgency of acquisition reform in DOD, given budgetary constraints and security challenges, finding that DOD will need to gain every possible efficiency while resisting the temptation to buy defense on the cheap. This report continues the IBM Center's interest in better understanding and improving the federal government acquisition process. Download your free copy at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors exploring ideas for improving government effectiveness with Doug Webster and Tom Stanton, authors of the IBM Center Report, Improving Government Decision-Making Through Enterprise Risk Management. Your report for the IBM Center does a wonderful job of exploring the evolution of enterprise risk management in the federal government. Tom, first, would you tell us more about the traditional approach to risk management, what are some of the limitations of this approach? Well, the traditional approach to risk management generally involves an agency or agency head looking at the kind of risk they think they are really going to have that's going to cause them problems and then monitoring for that kind of risk. The problem is that the risks you anticipate, and we talked about this earlier, may not be the risks that can bring you down. There's a very large financial institution in the Washington, D.C. area and I heard the CEO speak at the Association for Federal Enterprise Risk Management, and he talked about how they avoided the subprime crisis. That was the big risk they had focused on, and they did a great job. But all of a sudden, they had a cyber event that proved extremely costly. And then they had a flood, and it turned out a number of their major systems were in the basement and were flooded out. And that CEO stepped back and said, okay, we need enterprise risk management. We need a way to run our radar and figure out what are the major risks that can affect our institution, including those risks that I, as CEO, may not automatically think about. Mm -hmm. So, Doug, I remember when I first had you on the show in your other role, uh, you mentioned you were actually the first CFO that I, uh, that I uh, interviewed that mentioned enterprise risk management as a focus of yours. And so to that end, uh, what is what is it? What is enterprise risk management? And what are some of the distinguishing characteristics of ERM? 
I think that's an extremely important question because one of the big frustrations I have is enterprise risk management these days is a term that's thrown out there very loosely mm -hmm. and very poorly understood by so many people who use that term. And that doesn't uh, restrict itself only to those in the federal government where the term is newer than it is in the private sector, but also in the private sector. I've talked to folks within the risk management profession that don't understand and who use the term enterprise risk management and really don't understand the principles. To, because for many people, enterprise risk management is simply glorified risk management, meaning it's still conducted within functional silos and it's done really well, but they have not taken that next step to try and integrate those across those silos. In some cases, it's, it's the term is used when what they're really talking about is internal controls. And enterprise risk management and risk management in general, for that matter, is much broader and, than simply internal controls. Uh, so I, the, the metaphor that I, I like to use because it works for me is, is the fact that if you had all the various functional stovepipes, whether belonging to a functional head like a CIO, a CFO, so on, or a, or an, a bureau-level head or a program office, represented by a brick, the metaphor I use is a pile of bricks is not equal to a brick wall. <laughs> ERM takes what you have in risk management today, and hopefully you've got a complete um, set of processes that are focused functionally, programmatically, etc., but then takes it a further step and brings the mortar, if you will, to those bricks to turn into a brick wall, to generate a portfolio view. Without that, you're really not talking about enterprise risk management. You're simply talking about traditional risk management. And so that, uh, just to be clear, for the purposes of this report or for your, your book that you gentlemen edited, enterprise, what, is, what do you mean by enterprise? Is it department? Is it bureau? Is it all of it together? Could you just give us a sense of what the definition of a enterprise is? Absolutely. And there's also some confusion sure. on that very term because sometimes folks th uh, interpret the word enterprise as having to be done at the highest level of the organization. And I would submit that it does not have to be. For example, if you're in the Department of Defense, it does not mean that to do enterprise risk management, it has to be each of the military services all coming together. One could do enterprise risk management at any level of an organization, such as a military installation, where you have multiple silos that you are going to then bring together to develop a portfolio view of risk applicable at that level of the organization. So whether that's a cabinet-level uh, department, an agency, a bureau, some functional area, even within the CFO or the CIO shop, to the degree that they are each exercising and implementing various areas of their functional responsibility and each has risks associated with it, they can implement the principles of enterprise risk management and that becomes the context of the word enterprise at that level. So you've pointed out both in your report and today that, uh, you know, um, enterprise risk management has been maturing and evolving in the private sector for many decades, uh, but fairly recent in the public sector. And Doug, I'd like you to see if you can elaborate on the history and continuing evolution of ERM within federal agencies. And what I mean by that is perhaps you can highlight some early adopters uh, within the federal uh, government and uh, what lessons have been learned. The, the notions, the underlying principles of enterprise risk management date back uh, to the early 70s. But the actual term itself, enterprise risk management, didn't come about until uh, about the year 2000. Uh, in the year 2004, Federal Student Aid within the Department of Education was the first organization to actually go out and high, establish the position of a chief risk officer and hire against that position. And that began to establish the, 
the ability to think about risk holistically across the organization. Um, they and other organizations uh, within the federal government over the years have begun to implement uh, those principles of enterprise risk management. Some have gone further than others, as one would readily expect. And unfortunately, in some cases, some have, have backslid a little. So uh, enterprise risk management is not something that just because you head down the road, you're going to automatically continue to keep going. It's going to take sustained effort. It's going to take sustained uh, championship and tone at the top. And it's, it's a, a long-term effort. But uh, it began, as I mentioned, uh, in the year uh, 2004 in the federal government. When I was CFO at Labor in 2008, I developed a network of folks who shared that passion and interest in enterprise risk management. And we put together this ad hoc group of federal executives called the Federal ERM Steering Group. And we teamed with a local university to put on the first ever Federal Enterprise Risk Management Summit in 2008. And that has continued every year since. And then in the year 2011, uh, I worked with a number of folks, and, and t including Tom, who's the co-author in this report, and we transitioned that group into the Association for Federal Enterprise Risk Management. So that's a formal professional association today that I think we're all very proud of. So, Tom, um, would you elaborate on efforts being pursued by the Office of Management and Budget to push the adoption and use of enterprise risk management as an approach? And what specifically is OMB doing to think beyond the risk simply as a financial risk? OMB has been very sophisticated in the way they've approached enterprise risk management. The, the management side of OMB polled this chief financial officer's council that they host and found out that risk management and enterprise risk management were the top priority for the chief financial officers that they polled and decided we've got to start moving in that direction. They have now come out with several circulars, which are the way they issue direction and guidance to federal agencies. The first one was A129, which was for federal credit agencies uh, that came out in 2013. Then there was A11, uh, which is your general budget submission calling for improved risk management and risk considerations. And A123 is currently in the works, which is internal controls. And what they're saying is, to get to your question, enterprise risk management is the essential broader context for A123 and the way we're going to deal with it. They're dealing with a very complex situation because you don't want to mandate risk management. The minute you tell somebody you've got to have risk management, great, here's my chief risk officer. We know whom to hang when <laughs> something goes wrong. And uh, that really doesn't work very well. So what they're doing is encouraging and setting up sort of a constant pressure. I, I guess the buzzword these days is nudge, but it's more than a nudge. It's a, a gentle push to uh, that agencies have got to start considering enterprise risk management. And my ideal will be when this finally comes, and it looks like it will come, will be that when agencies bring their budget submissions to their budget examiner, their RMO, they call them the resource management officer, that the question immediately the OMB person will ask is, what are the major risks that could prevent you from achieving the objectives that you think you're going to achieve with this budget? Because what can happen if you're at the OMB level is, if there's a really serious vulnerability, 
you might be able to figure out how to allocate some some resources to deal with it before rather than after we have an OPM or some other debacle. Mm-hmm. Doug, I was wondering, could you tell us more about the attributes of effective risk management as identified by OMB? Certainly. Uh, OMB A11 came out uh, last summer and uh, included, for the first time, enterprise risk management in, in that circular. And they listed a number of, of items. Uh, and they were, uh, it creates and protects value. Uh, it's an integral part of all organizational processes. And, and I, uh, to elaborate on that, Simply having folks sing the song, if you will, about enterprise risk management doesn't accomplish a whole lot. It really needs to be built in and integrated into the decision-making processes. Uh, It's part of decision-making, relating to what I just said, explicitly addresses uncertainty, because that's what, of course, risk is all about. Uh, is systematic, structured, and timely, based on the best available information. And uh, a highlight of this point is this is not about quantifying all risk, because sometimes the best you're going to be able to cost-effectively do is come up with qualitative information. But just because it's not quantifiable does not mean that it can or should be ignored. Uh, It's tailored and responsive to an evolving risk profile of the agency, which can indeed change over time. Uh, It takes human and cultural factors into account. Uh, is transparent and inclusive, is dynamic, iterative, and responsive to change, and the last one is facilitates continual improvement of the organization. What are some of the key challenges facing government executives when implementing enterprise risk management? We'll explore this question and so much more when our special edition of the Business of Government Hour, A Conversation with Authors, returns. Government leaders and managers face major challenges today, including fiscal austerity, citizen expectation, the pace of technology and innovation, and a new role for governance. These challenges influence how government executives lead today, but more importantly, how they can be prepared for tomorrow. The IBM Center report, Six Trends Driving Change in Government, offers a path forward for government executives responding to the ever-increasing complexity and challenges they face today. Download your free copy at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors exploring ideas for improving government effectiveness with Doug Webster and Tom Stanton, authors of the IBM Center Report, Improving Government Decision-Making Through Enterprise Risk Management. From the work that you did for the report, you identified six challenges, or six challenges were identified. And I'd like to talk about or unfurl each one of them. So, Tom, uh, would you tell us, would you explain the implication of the need, challenge one is that you need sustained leadership at the top, correct? And what's the, would you explain that? What does that mean? And what's the implication of such a challenge to respond to that? Again, let me go back to the financial crisis. Successful leaders, and as Doug points out, it can be at any level. It doesn't need to be the CEO. It can be a business unit head for the military. It can be a base commander, whatever. The successful leaders had what I call constructive dialogue. They would bring the people that wanted to do something, the enthusiasts, together with the people that were worried about the downside. And they would have a respectful conversation. And the whole idea was we're all on the same team. We're going to leave this room good friends just as we came in. But let's have this conversation. And very often, you can come to a better place 
then either the advocate, the enthusiast, will come to a loan or the person only worried about downside risk. You can figure out ways to structure the solution so that you optimize across the risk-reward trade-off. So a leader is needed in order to do that. A leader is also needed, it's been my personal observation, that it is virtually impossible to have good enterprise risk management unless you have a management team that has been welded together into one team so that all the powerful barons think more of our agency than they do think of my turf. And also, risks will cut across the agency. And so the, the CEO, the tone at the top, the leader, agency head, needs to make sure that that information is flowing. And also, they need to protect the risk function. It's really hard in some organizations to bring bad news to the top. And what a successful leader needs to do is make sure that that bad news can flow. Let me add something, going back to constructive dialogue. The person that sounds the alarm is not always right. But to go back to our very beginning of this interview, it's a lot cheaper to investigate than it is to wait fat, dumb, and happy until something really hits your agency hard. So, so Doug, you point out in the report that an unexpectedly large number of interviewees identified the need to overcome a culture of caution as a major challenge. I assume also the culture of gotcha, if you will. Would you tell us more about this challenge and how best can a government executive respond to such a challenge? Well, I think it's uh, probably simple reality that the, the radio station that most people listen to, not just the federal government, is WIIFM. That stands for what's in it for me. <laughs> and, and so that's not unnormal. Okay, so let's recognize that up front. But recognizing that, the incentives in the federal government are significantly different than they are in, in the private sector. The private sector, of course, has a profit uh, motive. Now, that's not to characterize those differences as good or bad or anything like that, but simply to recognize they do tend to drive different behaviors. And for many in the federal government, and I heard this repeatedly in the interviews, is that the downside of taking a chance, of incurring a risk, was worse than the upside of some success in achieving in achieving something because that risk was taken. As a result, there is a very low risk appetite at the individual level, regardless of what the agency as a whole may be saying. So the agency, for example, may be saying, we want to do the following, and, and following cannot be accomplished without, of course, taking some risks. But when it comes down to actual implementation and execution at the individual level, those rewards oftentimes are not there sufficiently to allow people or to encourage people, if you will, to take risks. So they would rather take the safe road, if you will. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the cultural challenges that we face and has to be recognized, I believe, if, if agencies are going to be successful in enterprise risk management because it begins with tone at the top. It begins with telling folks that we want you to identify risk and we want you to share those risks because either ignoring the risk and not identifying it or identifying it but not sharing it so that you can act upon it don't contribute to getting the job done. In fact, quite conversely, they increase the likelihood that you're going to not be successful because you have risks that are beyond what are appropriate, 
but you don't find out about it at the higher levels of the organization until many times it's too late. So, Tom, the next challenge involved properly educating agency staff about the concepts and principles of enterprise risk management. Why is that such a challenge? And perhaps you can tell us ways to respond to this challenge around education. Education about enterprise risk management is really hard. Mm -hmm. The first problem is the term itself, which is one that makes the eyes glaze over. Several years ago, I went to a senior official at OMB and said, we've got to do something on enterprise risk management. And they said, I agree with you on risk management, but let's forget about this enterprise stuff. The second problem, once you've gotten over the term, is to actually understand what it's all about. And that takes work. And that's one reason that Doug and others established the Association for Federal Enterprise Risk Management, a firm, AFERM. We are basically a community of practice. We serve federal officials. We also have members who are consulting to the federal government or academics like me. And we are all in it as a community of practice to help everybody improve their game, to share insights across agencies, across smaller units that may have adopted enterprise risk management and have really valuable lessons that other people can learn. And so over time, what we're seeing is we can respond to this challenge, but it is very important to let people know what it's all about and eventually, to use the word you used, to build it into agency cultures. Yeah. And, and, you know, the last um, challenge that you gentlemen identified uh, was around demonstrating the actual value to agency leaders of enterprise risk management. Why is it so challenging to do that? And what can be done to illustrate the value of, of this approach? Well, sure. I'd, I'd be glad to, to offer some thoughts and, and to Tom may have others to add as well. But I think one of the challenges is risks are hard to quantify. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to quantify the risk, but the impact is hard to quantify until after it's the fact, after it's too late, until that risk is turned into an adverse event. You can certainly cost and put a price tag on the cost of risk management in terms of what you're doing to take steps to minimize risk, for example. But quantifying the cost of that impact, you know, until it happens, it's too late. So to use a metaphor, I, if I down on the Gulf Coast, I can quantify the cost of going out to the, the local hardware store to buy uh, four by eight sheets of plywood to put up on my windows. But what's the cost of the damage if I don't do that? Well, I don't know until after the fact. Too many folks in the federal government and in the private sector are unfortunately happy or to wait because they don't think about that. And I use as a metaphor, another metaphor, is an iceberg. And above the waterline is the cost of risk management. Below the waterline is the cost of failure. And that cost of failure is vastly greater than the cost of risk management. Now, where that balance is, is a trade-off that needs to be considered, and there's no simple answer to that. The only overriding consideration I would say is that if you ignore a risk management, that bottom part of the iceberg is going to get you just like it did the Titanic. So that's part of it. Tom, do you have anything? What's interesting is that despite the huge number of management failures we have seen in the last year or two, I mean, you can start with GSA, you can go to IRS, I already mentioned VA, now OPM, and there are many more. Very often, federal officials sit back and say, 
that was really stupid. I'm not doing that. And so it's really hard to convince people. And, and my best example, again, is this head of this financial institution who really navigated the financial crisis. But guess what? He really missed the critical factors that were going to cripple his organization. So we need to convince people that it's a lot easier to improve your culture, that the value is better management. It isn't just better risk management. But when people make sounder decisions because they have higher quality information about both the upside and the downside, that's good management. That's value. And, of course, schools of government, the business schools have been teaching that for years. But what we need to do in the federal government, particularly now, and that goes back to your earlier question about budget cuts, agencies are going to be under stress in a way they've not been under stress before. And we need to anticipate that. And better management is a lot more important now than it ever. How can agencies successfully implement enterprise risk management? We will explore this question and so much more when our special edition of the Business of Government Hour, A Conversation with Authors, returns. In a world inundated with all kinds of information, timely, relevant, and more predictive data can drive better decision-making. Law enforcement agencies are at the forefront in leveraging data and using innovative software to generate predictions that help police prevent crime. What is predictive policing? How can using analytics make us safer? Check out the IBM Center report, Predictive Policing, Preventing Crime with Data and Analytics by Jen Bachner, and find out. Download your free copy at businessofgovernment.org. What do agency leaders need to know about the federal acquisition process? What are some of the key federal procurement trends? And how can agency leaders overcome today's acquisition challenges? Check out the new Center Report, A Guide for Agency Leaders on Federal Acquisition by Trevor Brown and find out. The report offers practical recommendations for improving federal acquisition. Download your free copy of A Guide for Agency Leaders on Federal Acquisition at businessofgovernment.org and find out how the business of government is not business as usual. Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors exploring ideas for improving government effectiveness with Doug Webster and Tom Stanton, authors of the IBM Center Report, Improving Government Decision-Making Through Enterprise Risk Management. Your Center Report does a wonderful job of, of defining enterprise risk management, and it's realistic. It tells you what challenges that are out there for government executives who are going to pursue it. But you don't just stop there. You do a very good job, I think, um, of uh, offering steps on how to actually implement. In this segment, I'd like to discuss the six key steps that you identified in your report for agencies uh, to implement risk management in government agencies. Um, step one, and Doug, if you could take a lead on this one, calls for the establishment of risk governance framework. What is that, and why is it so important? Well, there are multiple roles, depending upon the uh, the part of the organization of the federal government that you're speaking of, that I believe are important. And and a couple that, that start to set the tone and stage for everything else are OMB and GAO. Mm -hmm. OMB and GAO, and particularly OMB in terms of uh, published documentation, has already stepped out with regards to A11, was already previously uh, mentioned, uh, with regards to uh, a soon-to-be-expected uh, update to A123. 
and they've been out on uh, on the uh, speaking circuit uh, talking about the importance of risk management. So they are playing a critical role in helping set the stage for understanding and uh, acceptance of the whole concept of risk management and enterprise risk management in particular. Uh, likewise, GAO has been very supportive of this concept, and so I think they are setting the tone at the top, at the very top of the federal government. Uh, next, within the agencies, uh, it's very important to do a number of things, one of which is for the head of the organization to truly facilitate a collaborative team-based environment. Uh, to use the term that Tom used earlier, uh, the barons, uh, the fiefdoms, uh, you know, to the degree that you've got various functional stovepipes that want to hold tight and closed around their own functional areas and not let anyone peek inside the covers, so to speak, does not contribute to this cross-functional collaboration that is absolutely necessary to operate in an effective uh, enterprise risk management environment or into any kind of a management environment that seeks to generate maximum value at the enterprise level. Additionally, there needs to be some centralized coordination function uh, for risk management. There was a study done a few years ago by the Association of Government Accountants where they asked uh, federal executives how adequate they thought their ERM program was. And well, I believe over 50% of, of the organizations or respondents said it was adequate or better. Uh, but the problem was that a small minority actually had a chief risk officer or some office coordinating the risk function. And I do not personally understand how you can have a broadly coordinated risk function without some person or office in charge of coordinating that policy, of facilitating the discussion and so on. This does not mean that they own the risk and they make the decisions of whether you accept a risk or not, but at least they're coordinating that. So I would finally argue that there really does need to be such a, a, an organizational structure, whether that's under the title of a chief risk officer or some other title can be determined by the agency, but there needs to be some coordinating point. So you go from coordinating point, um, which is a good way to end that response, to the next step, Tom, and that is it requires to create conditions for risk management to be effective. How can government executives do that? John Frazier, who is a Canadian practitioner of enterprise risk management, whom we quote extensively in the report and also in our book, um, says that there are two steps in enterprise risk management functionally. The first is conversations, that flow of information. How do we and put everything on the table so we really do identify the the highest, uh, the, the greatest vulnerabilities. And the second step is prioritization. We have scarce resources. How do we allocate those scarce resources to optimize the ability of our agency to fulfill its mission and minimize the damage that could occur from a serious risk? And again, note that I constantly talk about serious risk, major risk. Enterprise risk management actually could help save money by letting people focus on the big risks. We have this awful habit in government that when something goes wrong, we immediately apply this huge Band-Aid of paperwork. Yeah. So GSA has a problem. General Services Administration has a problem with conferences in their western region. And all of a sudden, it's almost impossible for a federal agency to have a conference, however important that conference may be. So enterprise risk management says, let's not keep patching things. We, it may or may not work in the cyber world to constantly add a patch. <laughs> but let's step back and ask, what are the big risks? Let's allocate our scarce resources to that. 
So Doug was talking about the need to have a function, and that's really a facilitating function. Your risk manager doesn't manage the risk. Your business unit heads manage the risk. They're responsible for managing the business unit, and managing risk goes along with that. What your risk officer does is facilitate those conversations and facilitate the necessary prioritization, which ultimately will be decided by the agency head or chief operating officer, whomever at the top. But your chief risk officer is there to make sure that we've really done a good job of figuring out what the major risks are and how we might want to address them. So those are the essential conditions um, that agencies have to think about. And that leads right into, for Doug, how can, to be effective, risk management must actually inform organizational decisions. Now, we touched on this throughout the conversation, but if you want to put a finer point on this, how can government executives integrate risk management into organizational decision-making? One of the things that I frequently hear people talking about is what are their risks, and they've never identified what their objectives are. And I would maintain if you don't have an objective, you don't have a risk. So it's absolutely essential that before you begin the discussion of risk management, you understand risk to what? What are my objectives? And that in turn suggests that you really need to have some kind of a meaningful strategic planning process and an operational process because it's out of that that flows objectives. And once you can define your objectives, then you can enter into a meaningful discussion about what's the cost of those objectives, what are the risks to to those costs and objectives, and how do I make those trade-offs to maximize value. I would like to add that it's important to be able to establish a venue where at the highest levels of the organization there is an opportunity to have this cross-functional dialogue. Typically, that will occur at some sort of executive-level committee meeting, whether or not that committee is focused exclusively on enterprise risks or it's an agenda item, a part of a broader agenda, it is very important to get those cross-functional risks on the table where all the key stakeholders can hear it and weigh in and offer opinions. And so the leader of the organization is then better informed and more able to make the trade-offs necessary to balance risks across those functions consistent with an overall enterprise risk portfolio view. Mm -hmm. So, Tom, you know, the fourth step is, and you've mentioned this before, and that is to protect the risk function. What does that mean? Let's talk about that layer of cork. The layer of cork very often is that layer of officials who are located between Mm -hmm. the person who may see a vulnerability, but at least they have something to report up the line, and the head of agency or somebody towards the top of the agency. And very often, if I go outside my chain of command, I'm done. You also have increasingly all these special assistants running around that try to protect people at the top from getting messages that that may make them unhappy. So what you need to do is to figure out a way to facilitate that flow of communication again. And if you don't, you're in deep trouble. Let me give two examples from the financial crisis. One of them was I had lunch with a a person, and it had to be off the record, um, who was a chief risk officer at a major company. And she said that she faced this Hobson's choice as a risk officer. Either I was going to be a pain in management's neck 
or I was going to be known as a risk officer at a place that blew itself up. Mm -hmm. So she finally left in 06, and the place blew itself up in 08. Mm -hmm. A second example, a chief credit officer, senior vice president, says we're not pricing for the mortgages we're buying. This Remember the subprime crisis, high risk, and everybody thought they were low risk. And the executive vice president to whom he reported said, how come you're the only person in the company who believes your model? <laughs> it's the job of leadership at an agency, at a company, to make sure that those voices are heard. And again, I want to say, it isn't that those voices are always correct. It's just that it's so much less expensive to check it out than it is to let those voices be ignored until something really bad happens. Uh, well, I want to jump ahead and, and just talk about the future, if I could. What does the future hold in this area of enterprise risk management, especially in the federal context? Well, I'm really optimistic. Yeah. I'm president of the Association for Federal Enterprise Risk Management, and I've got to tell you that at every meeting of our board and committee chairs, it's a volunteer organization. There's a lot of work to be done. And I say, well, we've got some other serious task to do. And there's so much energy. People are eager to do it. We're a community of practice. We're trying to improve the game for the entire federal government. And we think we're doing that. Mm -hmm. And we're watching our organization grow uh, both in stature but also in membership, which is really important. I also have hopes that Office of Management and Budget is going to turn to an executive order to institutionalize their risk management, enterprise risk management activities as we go forward, because this particular administration is going to change. Mm -hmm. And an executive order is one way to have momentum going forward into a new administration and to keep it alive as a concept from the center of government, regardless of the priorities that an incoming administration may have. Doug, do you have anything to add? Uh, I, I would add uh, and echo what Tom said and add that I'm very encouraged by the, the, the path that we are on. Uh, I think that ERM in the federal government was, I don't know if it's fair to say it was slow getting going or not because that's a relative term, mm -hmm. but I, I do think that the speed is picking up. It's got strong support from the right people at OMB. It's certainly got recognition and GAO, and I'm very optimistic because I, I believe that uh, as budget cuts continue and, and budget pressures increase, that people are going to be forced, whether they like it or not, to better think about what the risks are that their agency is facing. And they're not going to be able to make those trade-offs unless they, again, they, they look at about how they're maximizing that value. And enterprise risk management is going to be a key ingredient to making that uh, decision. I want to thank you both for joining me today because your report for the IBM Center does a wonderful job of uh, distilling this concept of enterprise risk management and how to take it seriously and how it needs to be taken seriously. How can folks learn more about uh, a firm? Thank you very much. The first way to learn is go to our website, www.affirm, that's A-F-E-R-M, dot org. Affirm is an organization that uh, basically looks and says, how can we help uh, the federal government improve risk management? And what we do is we have quarterly lunches where successful risk managers 
or maybe a chief operating officer who has found risk management to be valuable. Uh, some federal official will speak about their experiences. We're coming up on our annual meeting, which is we call the summit, which is November 3rd and 4th out at George Mason University. And there we have a day and a half of workshops, of, of plenary sessions where we're going to have major speakers of panel discussions and an opportunity to network to really talk to people and ask, you know, gee, I'm having X problem and you can ask it off the record over lunch and hear how somebody else has solved that problem. Finally, we're starting a training program and we're going to put that on our website and we're hoping to have 10 different segments of one or two hours each in the elements of enterprise risk management. Government these days, particularly with budget cuts, is cutting back on training. We figure this is an easy way then for people who want to know more about enterprise risk management or who are in one of the new risk management shops that's being set up to go and get the basics and, and figure out from there um, what they want to learn. And serendipitously, aside from the report you did for us, you gentlemen edited a book too, would you? I was about ready to add Please. that uh, besides going to the Affirm website, there's this great book out there that Doug and I uh, edited called uh, Managing Risk and Performance, A Guide for Government Decision Makers. It's an edited volume. We had contributions from a couple of different agencies that were doing serious enterprise risk management. We have different experts bringing different issues to bear and insights to bear. And I, will, I must say the feedback I have gotten from federal agencies is that it is a helpful book. So um, by all means, order it for your library and pass it around your, your office. And um, uh, we hope you enjoy it. It's John Wiley and Sons, uh, 2014. So, Tom, Doug, thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, this has been a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors exploring ideas for improving government effectiveness with Doug Webster and Tom Stanton, authors of the IBM Center Report, Improving Government Decision-Making Through Enterprise Risk Management. We hope the insights provided by Webster and Stanton are helpful to federal executives in developing actionable approaches to enterprise risk management, especially in advance of the pending guidance from OMB on this risk management approach. You may order or download a free copy of this or any Senate report by going to businessofgovernment.org. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org. What are the key priorities for the National Institutes of Health Information Technology Acquisition and Assessment Center, NITAC? How does NITAC assist federal agencies to accomplish their mission? Join host Michael Keegan as he explores these questions and so much more. Tune in on Mondays at 11 a.m. for the Business of Government Hour on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m.